Hey, so apparently I'm starting a podcast, and apparently this is the first episode, and so naturally I totally destroyed the introduction, which I'm, I'm redoing now. We are going to be talking with Roman today. He's the founder of Dilio and also runs Business Inquirer Newsletter, and we've never chatted before, so this is he and I getting to know each other, but he's got some really interesting perspectives on acquisitions, and yeah, that's about it. I hope you guys enjoy. Hey, Roman. We've never chatted before. And so if there's anything else that I'm missing, please fill me in the quick background. Yeah, no, I mean, those are probably the most interesting things. I'll start kind of a bit of a background, traditional finance background. I was an equity research analyst for a mutual fund company for a long time that did investment banking and really started my entrepreneurial journey, I'd call it, around 2014. I started a consulting company selling alternative data to hedge funds. Yeah, yeah. So a very non-tech enabled business, uh, just a traditional, you know, consulting service, service business. Ran it for a couple of years and uh, sold it to a big uh, market research firm. Nothing, not nothing life-changing or anything like that. Just small exit. And then uh, me and my wife started a legal tech company uh, called Transactionly. And it's a very niche little SaaS that basically does project management for transactional attorneys, uh, project management tool for them. And I've always been involved in kind of the Boston startup ecosystem. I've always been interested in uh, small businesses. And I think you know, right now, and really, I think over the last you know year or two, I think it's never been easier to start a business. I think it's never been easier as a non-tech person to start a tech business. Yeah. So that whole ecosystem is just super interesting to me. And I wanted to learn about what type of business is out there, what's changing hands, learn about the different business models. So I started browsing all the online marketplaces like the micro acquires, empire flippers, and so on, Flippa. And I think there's a lot, you can get a good pulse of the market. You learn about, you know, what types of businesses selling for what. And I think, A, you learn, B, I think it's actually very inspirational. Like it's just very inspirational to see what other people have started and what's possible and how they're operating it. Obviously, some listings are more detailed than others, but like, you know, to me, like seeing a listing that has a lot of detail, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's amazing. And I decided to start a newsletter where I basically highlight interesting businesses I come across. So I was doing this anyway, just for kind of myself. I decided to document it. At first, I didn't really think anyone would sign up. And now we have over 600 subscribers. Excellent. Uh, it's called uh, the Business Inquirer, and it's just a free Substack newsletter. And it's been uh, it's been an amazing experience, just from a you know from a learning, from a networking, from a lot of different angles. And through that, through the newsletter, I got uh, a lot of requests from people, from subscribers, asking to connect me with someone that can help them analyze a business, can kind of talk through an acquisition, mm. whether it's a content website or Shopify SaaS or whatever it may be. And, you know, I got kind of enough of these pings where I thought that uh, there should be something out there where you kind of post post a project or, you know, easily schedule a time with someone that can help you kind of think these things through. Yeah. We have marketplaces for everything. Like anything you need, there's a marketplace for that. But I saw that there really wasn't something that was focused on due diligence, 
vetting businesses that yeah. part. And, you know, kind of a light bulb went off and really just decided to launch it myself. So that's kind of how the idea for Dudilio was born. Threw up a simple WordPress website. That's, that's, the, that's the extent of my coding, coding know-how <laughs> using Elementor. You know, it's just two forms in there. And launched about two months. We have over 70 experts on the platform. We facilitated about, I think, 19 now, 19 due diligence requests. Nice. And yeah, so we do we get about one to three a week, um, okay. all through just word of mouth and kind of or organic. There's a bunch of stuff I, I want to ask you about. I, alt data to selling alt data to hedge funds. I have one failed business idea in there. Only, like, only, only one. I mean, only one. Yeah. I tried to. That's, that's good. <laughs> That's a good, that's a good track record. If it's only oh, one. No, no. I have, I have a lot in my graveyard, but only one selling, trying to sell alt data to hedge funds. I was trying to do selling podcast data. So we would run it through transcriptions, run it through several machine learning models and try and get like directional indicators on, on different stocks that were mentioned or brands that were mentioned. And okay. I got on enough calls and it was actually one of the worst sales calls I've ever had. One of these like quant guys, I don't know how the hell he got put on the calendar invite. He like, yeah not only didn't understand it, but was so like demeaning and so dismissive that I just thought like, man, I don't know shit about this industry. Like I'm going to, I'm going to put this one like on the back burner for now. And yeah. You know, it's funny. I, like, I agree with you. I think selling into that industry is super tough until I started selling to lawyers. And then I realized, well, Hey, hedge funds, Maybe not that bad. Okay. Maybe it's okay. <laughs> okay. I've never heard that, you know, no disrespect to lawyers, but I've never heard <laughs> anyone say that about lawyers before. Really? Okay. Okay. Uh, what? Yeah. Anyways, we'll put that Maybe it's just track. me. Maybe it's just me. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> I, yeah. Maybe you've got the, the magic touch, but I think the, the, the part that I, I want to get your thoughts on is the concept of buying a business was not native to me. It was not intuitive. It, it was something that I, like s- someone had to show me and very deliberately point out and be like, Andrew, you know how you're spending all of this fucking time building shit and then nobody buys it? Okay, so like if you just buy something that already has revenue, you get to skip all of this pain. Like somebody had to very deliberate show me that, but it sounds like it was much more intuitive for you to look at these marketplaces and say, Hey, maybe I should just buy something as opposed to building, which you've done before as well. Yes. Um, so I, you know, I think like a lot of people, I read uh, buy, buy then buy then build, buy then build, right? yeah, buy, buy then build, yeah. Uh, so I think that that kind of got the wheels turning, and I think that's when I started really going to marketplaces and seeing, hey, what's like like what can you buy? Like yeah. what, what exactly is there? So, so yeah, for me, that I think that was the moment. And I've, I don't know, I've, I've started, I don't know, maybe three, four, five different businesses that have failed. So I think only after experiencing failure, do you really start like thinking about, okay, is there an easier path? Oh my gosh. I remember um, we bought, we bought three so far in our little buying group. Um, I remember after we did that first one, just logging into Stripe and seeing money there was like, I, yeah. I felt like the king of the universe. I felt like the smartest man alive. I was like, yeah. oh my God, this is so much better. I've been such an idiot 
Like I'm yeah. just gonna buy things from now on. Like <laughs> from scratch, it's too hard. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, it's, uh, I, I I love your uh, blog on the website because I think it actually paints a, like a very real process. Like it, you share your ups and downs because I feel like 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 with everything on the internet, there's too much uh, uh, hype around. Like, well, like everything's perfect, right? You see yeah. everything on you know from Instagram to Twitter. Everyone, everyone's a success. Everyone, everything goes smoothly. Right. And one of the things that like I love about you know what you're doing uh, is like you know you highlight the things that are okay. Like this, we tried this, didn't really work. Like this isn't working. Diligence. We thought it's going to be a lot easier. Like good fucking luck. Sorry, I like to swear. I don't know. <laughs> right. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, good, good luck. You know, getting someone to share their code with you. And so, I, I, like, I love that part. Like, it's it's. Well, thanks, man. It's awesome. I, I appreciate it. It's you know, I I don't trust people anymore that just give me like the full positive story. It's like when you meet somebody and they're, they're too nice. And, and you're like, what are they hiding? You know what Why? I mean? Right. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I'm perfectly happy saying like this first fund, just because we're doing it with our own money, it's totally fine to say like, listen, we bought a dumpster fire. It's going terribly. And I regret this whole fucking thing. That is a perfectly acceptable thing. And if, if people are actually reading this and thinking about doing it, if you just look on, you know, like you said, everything is just so damn positive. You're like, oh, this is like shooting fish in a barrel. You can't lose. It's no, you can lose. These things can go to zero, right? And and yeah, yeah this is much more of a realistic picture of play by play, how things are going, right. you know? And then there's tough times too, like in any company, even when things are going well, like you'll have slow months. And sometimes those slow months mean nothing. And sometimes they mean actually the industry is like shifting underneath you and you need to move really quickly to fix it. But it's very hard to tell a moment. Yeah, it's extremely hard. I mean, there's so, so many things that can go wrong internally and externally, external factors. Yeah. Have you bought any products? I have, yes. I purchased uh, a productized service business, digital product and a productized service business in, in October last year, I think. And, and you know what, and it's, and it wasn't a good, it's not a good story where I purchased this business and I, I honestly, I, I lost interest in it. I, I purchased it. I realized that like, it's not really uh, what I want to be doing first. And number two, it's other projects were way more interesting that I was working on at the time. Yeah. And I think it kind of, and I, I don't know if, maybe it's just me but like i feel like a lot of people fall into the strap of like seeing a shiny object for sale like oh my god like this is like great and you kind of jump in without thinking everything through and you know kind of analyzing all the other options so i and i'm still and honestly i'm still trying to figure out what to do with that business interesting uh so i'm still in it and still trying to figure out kind of yeah what the next steps are I mean, there's, there's two thoughts I have around that. One is, is you as an individual losing interest. We have a group of four people. So like, it's a little bit easier because one of us can yeah. you know, pick up when somebody else gets busy or whatever, life happens, et cetera. But whether you lose interest or the reality is like, if you want to keep doing these, you can't be CEO of all of them. And so one concept we're kind of, I'll probably do a post on this eventually. 
once we figure it out or not, if it goes very wrong. But I worked at a venture studio for a number of years where the concept was we build it, we get it to a certain place, we hire a CEO and it spins out and that's, <clears throat> has a life of its own. I really love that concept. The venture studio, it never ended up working, but I've gotten it to work with a productized service that I started, but only because the gentleman, Mikey, that, that is CEO now is awesome, right? Like it, it was all about finding a really great operator and finding really great operators is just fucking hard. So all this is to say that we're trying to, at the moment for one of our companies, find a CEO to run it. But the problem with MicroSAS is that oftentimes there's not enough cash flow to pay somebody, especially a US-based person, some kind of reasonable salary to do it. So we're at this weird spot now where it's like, it makes 60 grand a year. That's not enough to do hire anybody, but like a recent right. grad out of college, right? Yeah. It, and, especially and today. Yes. And then there's no cash flow to pay for servers or like market, there's no marketing budget. So it's a really tough spot to be in at these smaller ones, which is why we're trying to raise a fund and like kind of move up stack. Because if you have, I don't know, let's say 200K in cash flow a year, then okay, great. You give somebody like a, a decent low-ish, but reasonably market salary for a micro SaaS company and give them five, 10% equity, right? With some, some, some upside. But that model of finding an opera, I really like, I, I hope right. that we can get it to work. I've gotten it to work once, but it, it took, it was very, I got very lucky finding the right person. It, it, it might, it, I have to think about kind of how to find that, that fit for this particular company because there's just like very little cash flow coming from it. It's, yeah. It's pretty much on a you know, ground floor. <laughs> you have to grow. Yeah. Um, to your point, uh, it's, it's hard to do it without some cash flow coming in from an entity. And that might be one of the differences between SaaS, which has been historically my background and like more of a service thing, which I, my product as service is like, that was the first service I ever started, but yeah. it got to like 10K a month in cash flow pretty quickly. It took me like three months to get there. So like with a service business, sometimes the price points are like higher, right? Cause it's all people processes. The markets can support a higher per customer. And so I had money to actually like pay somebody a decent reasonable like okay well at least like your mortgage and some food is covered right like you don't have to suffer yeah, much yeah. and that and then i gave like a really really fair equity structure for this but i don't know if you could do it with it might be harder with the SaaS. but we're i mean we're in the throes of, of trying this now yeah, yeah. If it works yeah yeah how many businesses are you uh running now with your my my shit's a little complicated there are three in the group that we've bought. So we've bought okay. three companies and then I have the productized service and I don't know, other stuff. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Yeah, yeah. I guess, how do you manage your time? What, like between the four things that, that you're working on, uh, is it like every week you kind of create a to-do list to say, okay, for this business, I need to do these three things this week for this business, I need to do this thing. Like, how do you think about that's one that's one of the things that I struggled with uh, to figure out kind of how to structure that. For me, it is mostly a shift. Okay. The productized service slow. So I started that in like October. By January, I had found Mikey, who's now running it. And January, February, March were me resisting letting go, really. And you know, it was very difficult for me to like build the, my baby and then just like give it away. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
But when I finally did, Mikey and I check in three times a week, an hour each time. And that is the headspace that it occupies for me. And then the acquisitions group, really, the, the way that I think about it is like, when we buy these things, they're distressed assets, even if they don't describe themselves as, as such. But on the engineering side, it's, it's, we have yet to buy something that I look at the architecture and think, oh, we're good for like another, you know, we could 10x and I don't have to yeah. check anything about the code. Right. That's not happened. Right. That, has, that has happened zero times. And so right now it's like we have, you know, just like broadly, we have to like do the, the engineering and then we have to do like kind of the marketing and then it can start to be on a path of like, okay, incremental feature, incremental marketing, incremental growth. And once we get it to that place, then I think it's a lot less time. But we're stuck right now, frankly, in the engineering side, because each one of the properties that we bought is in a different programming language. So like there are four of us in the group, three of us are developers, but between us, we only are really good at like three or four different languages. So I think moving forward, we're going to be a lot more strict about the tech stack, just because it has been so painful for us to, again, because there's so little cash flow, you can't even really go onto Upwork and find good people on Upwork to go pay to do it. Yeah. You got to go find a new person on Upwork that's like $14 an hour, right? right. And try and fucking, you know, pull like magic out of that person. <laughs> it's, it's such an improbable, yeah, an impossible task. So we're, we're like in the throes of that right now. And some of these are, are just coming into the marketing phase where we're like, okay, channel experimentation, what kind of channels are converting? Which one should we try? Which one should we kill? Right. And then I think it's a certain point we might just try and hire like maybe even just a virtual assistant if this mm -hmm. CEO thing doesn't work. Ideally, each company has a CEO because that's right. another thing we're finding. It's like every single one has to have a CEO. It has to occupy, occupy one person's headspace and it has to be number right. one in their mind. And it can't be us almost by definition if we're doing a fund. Right. Um, so we might get a, like a VA to, to grab like once we have the playbook. Just yeah. have somebody go execute against the playbook, but we don't really need them bringing, you know, new ideas. Obviously, that would be amazing, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Just need like an executor against like every week you send 500 emails, right? Here's where you find them, or here's like right. here's the process for that. Here's the copy. Do not change the copy. If you'd like to change the copy, please talk. You know what I mean? That yeah. kind of an ABC playbook. And then once we get into that, then I I could really think about like I don't know what comes next because. Buying three at a time was just, it was stupid. <laughs> it was so stupid. <laughs> you know, you died for, uh, you know, at the deep end of the water, yeah. deep end of the pool, right? That's right. Yeah. But back to back to the stuff that you're working on, the yeah, business yeah. inquire. One thing I do see, though, is that even though there are a lot of marketplaces and there are marketplaces for everything, I still find it remarkably difficult to say of all the possible deals on the internet, which ones are in my tech stack in a price range that I want that are actually pure SaaS that don't have like uh, like some kind of platform dependency, like the Shopify apps or whatever. I know a lot of people are into those. Like I don't have a comfort level with e-commerce and none of us at the, our buying group do. So like we don't really, we haven't dabbled in that yet. I still can't find a marketplace that will just let me filter and send me everything. So I almost feel like there needs to be an aggregator of some kind to go through and just pull great listings yeah so i think there, there, 
definitely are, I think, a couple of aggregators. Like Centurica has one called Market Watch. And then there's another one built by Mike Rubini. I'm trying to think of the name. I, I don't remember. Mike, I don't remember what it's called. So there are a couple of aggregators, but I don't think those are even going to help you because in order to filter by the details that you're, you know, you're talking about, I think you need you need to extract more information from the listing. You need to extract more information from the seller. Yeah. And I just don't think that's being collected right now. I generally think there's a lot of opportunities for even new marketplaces. I think there's still tons of opportunity there. I've been thinking about a no-code marketplace because yeah. I think that's that's interesting. I think, you know, I love what Andrew is doing. Andrew created a playbook for how to start a marketplace, you know? And, but I think, you know, he's, he's creating a startup market. Like maybe he started with MicroSaaS, but today, and I don't, you know, you probably, I don't know if you saw the update that he posted today, which is, which is awesome that he's so transparent, but, you know, the revenue size of these companies keeps going up and up and up. Yeah, so I think there's even, you know, there's still an opportunity for a micro SaaS marketplace. Yes. So even with that arena, I think there's still, yeah, a lot of, a lot of things that can be done. So we, we recently listed one of the properties for sale. One, because we're just thinking, okay, let's consolidate and really focus on the ones that we know we can grow. And we got to, you know, kind of pick one to let go of. And so we, we decided on one. Also just to test liquidity, because the, the part that I'm not certain of is as a, both a buyer and an eventual seller, what kind of liquidity is there in the marketplace? Like really, right? Obviously, you know, selling a business, it's not like, like private stock is not a liquid asset, right? But you know, I wanted to just test and see what the actual appetite was at what price range and how real that was. And, you know, lo and behold, frankly, a lot of the marketplaces, it's just a bunch of fucking tire. You know what I mean? Like really unsophisticated yeah. buyers. Like somebody literally asked me to send them the data. And I was like, oh yeah, let me just send you the data, which I've like conveniently placed in the fucking spreadsheet, right? Let me just like, share the data with you. Awesome. Um, so it's a lot uh, of stuff yeah. like that, but the, the part that I, I still feel like is, is a huge gap is like when you're, when you're selling a company or even buying a company, it's really story driven. So if I share, and we just went through this the other day, if I share our Stripe revenue for one of our projects, it's going to look lumpy. The reason it's lumpy is because we have a lot of people on annual plans. But if you just look at Stripe and a graph, it'll say we went down 20% last month. When the reality is, is like the month before, we just hit a bunch of those annual subscriptions, right? And then like two months from now, it's going to be another jump because that's when we did a big marketing push two years ago or whatever the case may be. Right. That story is totally lost when you just do like, oh, well, here's my Stripe, like here's my Stripe dashboard, right? Um, or here's my Google Analytics traffic. That can also be right. equally misleading and, and totally devoid of story. So I agree yeah. an opportunity in the marketplace to like better tell the company's story. Yeah, I ran into a productized service. And again, I, f I forgot what it's called, but I can, I can share it with you. That a person basically just writes listings for, for sellers. Mm. It helps them write, put together, you know, the presentation, put together the package. And I, I wonder how popular that is. I wonder how, like, I think something like that would be if you incorporate it as part of a marketplace. Yeah. Or some kind of a partnership. I think that would be very, 
very interesting, right? Because I think that's one way to solve uh, kind of for for your you know, lack of lack of story is just to have someone who can kind of tell it and put it together for you. Yeah. I, right? was, on, I was talking with Andrew Gostecki. I was on his like podcast. Yeah. I saw, uh-huh. um, one of the things he's trying to do is make this more like normalized. So maybe that the real answer is like, it's actually a confidence problem. So people listing mm. the sites don't have a lot of confidence that they could actually sell something. So they put in the least amount of effort right? Buyers are like just getting into the space. Most of them, at least from what I could see, are first-time buyers. So there's not a lot of confidence there. So they're, when they request info, they don't know what the fuck they're asking for. They don't know what to look at, right? And so maybe it's just going to take time for some confidence on both the buy side and the sell side to increase enough to where people put effort into the, <laughs> into the list. Right, right, right. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think it seems to me like you know, we're maybe in the first or second inning of this movement, right? Of this movement that, hey, you, you can buy a microSaaS. You can, you don't, you, know, you don't need 5 million to buy a startup. You can buy something, a small project and grow it. And yeah, I, I think we're just getting started with that. I think that, you know, that was also the impetus for starting to deal here is I think as transaction volume increases, I think there's going to be more and more demand for vetting for due diligence. I agree. Uh, the way I was looking at is uh, on the technical side, because that is something that's, I don't know that we have it figured out, but we've made quite a few mistakes so far that we're going to avoid. And we have a ever larger doc that we use to, you know, just benchmark against when we're doing diligence. Like right. one pretty nuanced one was we were looking at server logs through like during the diligence process, obviously it's a zoom screen share and it looked fine. Right. But like the reality was, is that like every like six or eight hours, the whole thing was crashing, but like (laughs) we, we did the diligence of like looking at the server logs, but we didn't know. I mean, it's still unfathomable to me that you would as like a CTO have a product that has like right. crashing every six hours, but now it's the thing I'm going to look out for. Right. Like, right. You live, you learn. You yeah, live, you learn. Right. Well, anyways, Roman, thank you so much for, for joining us. Where can people, where can people reach you? So Dudilio is just uh, dudilio.com, kind of like it, uh, like it sounds and uh, the business inquire.substack.com. Dot com and of course you know LinkedIn, Twitter, all the all all, all the popular uh, channels. I know. <laughs> I'm on there. Well, thanks so much for your time. It was really great chatting with you. It's great to connect. All right. Great to connect. Thanks, Andrew.